Welcome to episode 89 of Blue Jays Happy Hour. I'm Nick Ashbourne, joined as always by Andrew Stoughton. And we are coming to you after, you know, we talked about this before the show, a little bit of a slow week in the in Blue Jays land in terms of news. We've got Yusei Kikuchi continuing to be the story, continuing to do well. And one thing I guess we thought we might start with was the Vladimir Guerrero Jr. situation because he's dealing with, a, I don't know, what we're calling a minor knee injury at this point. I don't even know if they're calling it an injury or soreness. Does this strike you as something that is at all concerning um, going forward, or is this just, you know, the sort of thing that maybe you wouldn't even make news if it were in May and he'd probably just play through it? Yeah, I would suspect it's uh, it's the latter. Uh, I wonder, again, I wonder if they're taking it a little more seriously because, uh, you know, clearly teams don't want their players going to the WBC. Uh, <laughs> as we were, we were talking off air, like there's still, there's still a chance that he, uh, that he could end up there. Like they can, they can add, they can add guys back for an injury replacement uh, for the second round. And that was the thing that he put on his Instagram story the other day where, where he was like dying in a hospital bed, the little <laughs> illustration where it's see in the second round. So uh, it seems like he's still got his heart on playing in that tournament, which is cool. I mean, watching the, you know, the start of it has been fun. People get, you know, uh, get up for that. But yeah, as far as Vlad and that injury, you know, he's already back hitting in the cage. He's already, you know, they're, you know Hazel was talking, I think on Thursday's broadcast, uh, uh, doing lateral movement, starting to do that. You know, they're going to reassess him early next week. I, and like I said, I wouldn't be surprised if they sort of are extra cautious in the hopes that uh, it can keep him in camp and not uh, and not flying around to wherever wherever the DR is playing. Yeah, it's interesting because he, yeah, like you said, he clearly wants to play for this team. It's you know one of the best baseball teams ever assembled. I don't think that that's hyperbole. Like it's an it's an incredible it's, yeah. it's an incredibly good baseball team. Uh, pretty likely to win it all. Although I wouldn't dismiss Japan's chances. We don't need to dive incredibly deep into that. Uh, we'll talk a little bit about the WBC a bit later in the show, but. Yeah, the Blue Jays don't, probably don't want him to go because they want him to be cautious. They don't have quite the same excuse they had with Kirk, where with Kirk they're able to be like, oh, there's all these new pitchers to learn. There's not really anything for Vladdy to learn, right? Uh, he knows how to mash baseballs. He knows how to play first base. He's a gold glover. So really, the only card they have is this health one. And yeah, he clearly has his eye on the thing. And you know, at the end of the day, I think it'd be fun to see him go do it if he's able to do it. What's interesting to me is just it was kind of a reminder how durable this guy has been over the course of his career. Like, I know that he's still young. He hasn't played forever, but he plays basically all the games. Like, there's been talk about his conditioning in the past. Like, is he playing at 100%? Is he worn down? Those questions have been asked. But it's pretty wild to me that you have a guy, you know, with this type of size, with this type of violent swing who, you know, he's playing 161 games, 160 games, 60 games in that 60-game season. Uh, I, I can't tell you exactly 123 out of what for his rookie season, but he did not miss action. And I know that first base is not a super demanding position, but when you have a guy with this type of physicality, it is something I think we've taken for granted is the fact that he's just been remarkably healthy so far. Yeah, I, I think that's a great point. It, uh you know, I, I definitely saw some people on Twitter. I mean, anytime you can find any opinion you want, dunk on on Twitter, obviously. But uh, you know, uh, a knee thing, maybe not great. Uh, you know, at any stage, but you don't know if you, uh, a guy of his size and and shape. Uh, you know, you want to, you don't want the knee to become a, a recurring problem. I guess that that puts it into um, in, into the realm of things that people can you know validly be concerned about. 
but yeah, on the whole, I mean, I, that that first year, I seem to recall uh, <laughs> Victoria Day or uh, several other days where it was like scheduled days off, probably that that caught him more than. Uh, uh, though he may have gone on the aisle at some point there, I, I'm, I'm not 100 percent sure. I know, that, I know, I know that, that that delayed the start of his season. That too. scandal, scandal <laughs> was absolutely insane. Like yeah. this podcast wasn't together at that time, but the fact, I mean, could have done a lot on the fact that people were outraged about a holiday that literally no one cares about and a guy not playing. Uh, pretty insane. But uh, that but was, yeah, was he's fun. been playing all the holidays since. You know. Yeah. No. I. I. I think. Uh... Yeah, I think you're probably right that it's something that he might have played through in, uh, if it had happened in May. Though, you know, he did have to go for an MRI, so that that generally does get reported. Uh, so it wouldn't have been, it, it, it might not have been as long an absence and as, as much of a ramp up back into, you know, baseball activity as we're seeing right now. But uh, but it really does seem like nothing to worry about. And he's, you know, back running in the cage, doing fielding drills, like all that. It's a bit of knee soreness, uh, but and it's good. I mean, it's just there's been such an absence of storylines so far uh, that that takes up a lot of air, which is uh, which is good, which is what you want. You don't want to be, you know, the Phillies and Andrew Painter now having to choose to pitch through a partial tear in his UCL or whatever. Like uh, it's been uh, knock on wood, it's been a it's been a good camp so far for the Jays in that regard. The yeah, only or, real, the only real important metric of spring training, frankly, or or the you know the Yankees with all the pitching injuries they've yeah. accumulated already. It is nice to have a quiet spring when your team is in a good position already, right? Like when you're the Pittsburgh Pirates and you have a quiet spring, it's like, wow, no one has impressed us. Uh, and you know, <laughs> right. um, we don't have any young guys coming along. Speaking of those young guys, they continue to make some headlines around the Blue Jays in this kind of quiet time. Ricky Tiedemann, you know, we talked about him last time. That debut really got people excited, showed people what was there. I think that a little bit of a come down to earth on this most recent one may be a reminder. You know, there's still a ways between Ricky Tiedemann, where he is today, and where he would be making an impact every fifth day of the Blue Jays. There's a lot of things that happen to happen between now and then. I saw some tweets about him getting thrown to like the big guys in the Pirates lineup, which was a bit of an oxymoron <laughs> as far as I was concerned. Well, Carlos Santana, uh, I do recall that he can hit left-handed pitching quite well. Yeah. Not, not, sure, where, not sure where that comes from, but deep in the recesses of my mind, I seem to recall that as a fact. Yeah. I mean, he's also like, what, 37 or something? I don't <laughs> like. If if you have a job with the Pittsburgh Pirates, chances are there's a, there's a reason not to be particularly scared. I'm sorry, I looked it up right now. Carlos Santana's 36 and 11 months in two days, so he's got a, he's got a birthday coming up. Uh, happy birthday, Carlos! <laughs> um, but I, I don't know. It, it's just one of those reminders, right? That baseball is a sport of up and down that's not going to be a direct straight line where he dominated. I mean, it's funny because this podcast sort of started with Manoa being that guy who just dominated every single time out until he forced his way to the majors. But that, generally speaking, doesn't happen. And if anything, you know, I think we're inclined to maybe in this podcast be a little bit less amped up about one good outing and probably less amped up about being disappointed about one bad outing. It is what it is. I think, honestly, in some ways, Tiedemann's probably produced generally what you'd expect, like flashes of this stuff is incredibly impressive, but also reminders that he's still very young. I've maybe, I mean, more impressed is very subjective, but I thought Barger has been really interesting so far, and he's someone who's come along from being, you know, a pretty below-the-radar, not very well-known prospect. We talked about how he cracked that big fan graphs list. He came across multiple levels. 
And then, you know, the other day there was a tweet about it and I'm not doing a good job of attributing these to, to the sources for which I'm sorry, but talking about how he had not swung and missed yet. I think it was 22 swings or something. And this is, you know, these are micro samples, but that was a little bit interesting to me just because <clears throat> the knock on him has been an inability to make contact. Like, oh, this guy's positionally versatile. He's got a lot of power and, uh, you know, he's an athletic kid, but is the hit tool there? Does he, he strikes out a lot in the minor leagues. And that's a huge red flag for me when I'm looking at players and they're striking out, you know, like 25 plus percent you know, at times he struck out at a 30% rate or more in the minor leagues. That really scares me when I'm looking at a hitter. And that has been the thing that's kind of prevented me from getting as excited about Barger as some people have so far. And so to see even in a small sample, him bucking that trend a little bit did catch my eye for sure. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, arm strength too is another thing. And, and uh, I think he did swing and miss on a, a strikeout there on Thursday, but uh, I caught that that tweet as well and uh really impressive stuff he's had a great spring so far as you know all of the typical spring caveats uh apply but also and you know i, t I went back and forth with someone on twitter about this you know i think after his first game but it's like uh you know matt chapman's a free agent and barger is uh is, a, is probably ideally a third baseman um so you would expect that at some point you know i don't know if uh if a win now team uh, you know, a team with by next year with just two years of, of Vlad and Bo left, unless something happens uh, to uh, to extend them, uh, we'll be handing the reins to, of third base to, you know, a kid like that who has really, you know, just had this one tremendous breakout year. Uh, but that's just all the more reason to to hope and expect to see him in the big leagues at some point. To sort of, you know, it doesn't necessarily have to be an opening day, obviously. Um, but that's something they're going to want to learn about and learn how he functions as a big leaguer and, and see how that goes because that uh, you know that that could change their picture really for next year if Chapman doesn't get re-signed and if you know if they're having to think about well do we go out and, and get a free agent or do we have our internal solution and, and so uh, I think it behooves them to uh, to give him a really long look and he's sort of uh, he's sort of forcing that issue uh, right now in spring even though like I say. Uh, Buffalo is still probably the more likely spot. It's weird, uh, uh, you know, to uh, guys from the left side are now like, oh, uh, we kind of we kind of got that covered. The line was getting like balanced in the other direction. Yeah, it's. I think one thing with him too is that you could see a scenario where he ends up playing a role this season at second base. I know that's not his primary position, but he has played that in the past because the Blue Jays kind of have that jumble there, right? Like they've got. Biggio and Merrifield and Espinal and it's easy to say okay well we can kind of piece that together with platoons and matchups but you know there's also a world where none of those guys really come through in a satisfactory way and, you know we've seen what the worst of Biggio looks like Merrifield's getting older and he's traditionally not hit right-handed pitching particularly well we know Espinal's a big platoon split guy like I don't know. There is a world to me where July rolls around and you're really not feeling good about who you're rolling out at second base when you're facing a right-handed pitcher and Barger's just crushing it in AAA and you decide to give him a look. I don't, like you said, the long-term idea is probably third base. You talked about the strength of his arm and that's where most of his experience is. But when I look at the Blue Jays, I look at positional difficulties they could have during the season. That second base spot when you're not facing a southpaw is one that while it could be totally fine, like the, like I said, they've got three players there. They're all you know have been capable players in the past. That is one that is easy to me for me to envision it kind of folding in on itself and not really working. Yeah, and also you know 
two of those three guys at least i would say are are kind of your backup outfielders a bit too right i mean if if kiermeyer or springer get hurt as you know a lot of people probably would expect at some point to happen just because of their age and their history um you might see a lot of, of merrifield or biggio in the outfield i know that that was a uh, a, a small story this week as well that Biggio was, uh, or maybe going back to late last week, that, that he's going to see more time in the outfield and that he wanted to get more reps and find ways into the lineup and that Schneider's kind of said, okay, well, well, outfield might be it. And, you know, there are going to be opportunities there which could open up uh, second base for a guy like Barger, which uh, uh, right now doesn't really seem like a bad idea, but I think you're, you know, you're absolutely right to be looking at those minor league strikeout numbers and being like, okay. This is, uh, you know, like I, like I said on last week's episode, I mean, or Elvis Martinez looked real ready last year and people were, were surprised that he, you know, didn't get more consideration and people were like, no, there's no way this guy's making the major league team on opening day. Um, and then showed why. Yeah. I mean, you know, Barger, you know, he did stream up through the minor leagues last season, but he also had 292 plate appearances at high A striking out at a 26% rate less than a calendar year ago. You know what I mean? Like that doesn't scream i'm ready to make an impact at the major league level now he the way he's risen up is abnormal and he's shown really well at camp and like i said what we're talking about is a very specific scenario that could happen not maybe quote unquote the most likely scenario but he is he is going to be a fascinating player to watch it's always nice to see when their guys kind of at triple a knocking on the door when you don't have that as much um then prospects feel sort of yeah far away and more nebulous as opposed to when there are people at AAA who you could see making a difference for this team. And that's definitely possible with both Barger and Tiedemann. Yeah, and they haven't had that for a couple of years, really. You know, basically since the start of this window, it's felt that they're, they're, you know, since Vlad and Bo and Vigio came up, there haven't been that many guys. I guess Kirk to an extent. And Moreno, uh, but, was... but also Moreno is never like really needed as, you yeah. know, because of the whole positional glut there. He would and have I guess been that when I'm Manoa for a while, yeah, but no, but still, it it hasn't felt, yeah, it hasn't felt like there's been that kind of depth there. Uh, you know, we could even like Nathan Lucas is having a nice, uh, you know, sort of a post prospect guy, but uh, a guy who's showing uh, uh, showing why he's still around and why they they value him, and he's sort of like, you know, speaking of outfielders potentially getting injured, uh, he's absolutely in that conversation as well, if not for the the 26 spot. Yeah, he's yeah, he's sort of in my view right now kind of the default guy if you don't do anything with that last spot. Um I still keep believing that they will shake somebody loose that is not within the organization for opening day, but that's that's not a guarantee by any means. And mm-hmm. today sort of the meat of what I want to get to because as we discussed it's been a little bit of a slow news week is to do a little bit of over under game and I know that you know ATL at the letters friend of the podcast maybe dominant in this space in the Blue Jays world. But, you know, it's a fun it's a fun way to look at players, prognosticate. And the one I wanted to zero in on, we talked a little bit about um just wins with the Blue Jays before. Nice and simple one. I want to do one with players. The stat I want to zero in on is WRC plus, uh, which is basically OPS plus if if that's more your flavor, if you're more of a baseball reference than fangrass person. It's in my view kind of the best all in one offensive statistic. A hundred is average however much you are above or below 100 indicates kind of, and this is park adjusted too, uh, basically how good is your offensive output. And the reason why I think that's a fun number to look at is it's just a broad way to discuss, like, do you think this guy's going to have a good or a bad season compared to expectations? And also, I don't know, it, like, let's say we did this with home runs, which I considered. 
you get into necess- uh, you know, not fun conversations where you're like, oh yeah, George Springer, 26 home runs under, he'll be injured. Um, right. <laughs> whereas I, I'd rather kind of like talk about how good are the players going to be when they are on the field, partly just because predicting injuries is almost impossible to do. If any organization could do it, they would be world series champions instantly. Uh, but also, yeah, like I said, it's just more fun to talk about the players, assuming they are on the field, which they will be hopefully at least to some degree, uh, how good are they going to be? So we're going to kind of go down the main blue Jays position players. I'm going to give you the WRC plus, uh, over under, and then, uh, where the line is, you can give me the over under and we can discuss. Sure. All right. We'll go starting with George Springer at 138. 138 is a pretty good number. I'll try and give some, uh, a little bit of context as we go with some players who are at that level, just to give you guys an idea of like how good, how good a number is 138. So 138 is basically what Jose Ramirez and Jose Breu produced last year, that area. <laughs> yeah, which is, I mean, that's a testament to how good George Springer is. And you, you kind of, you know, partly because of the injuries, but, you, you know, it, you get it, I feel you lose it, or I do sometimes, or lose track of the fact that, you know, he is just so incredibly, incredibly good and consistent. Um, like, cause I, and especially, and I'm saying that cause I'm revealing about him, what I'm going to say here is I feel like that's a real high bar and I know he consistently crosses it, but I'm going to have to say under on that. And I would, I would gladly take the under on that if it meant, uh, if it meant he stayed on the field. Yeah, I, I would agree with you partly because again, I said we were going to try not to talk too much about injuries, right. Sorry. but he does, <laughs> he does often play at not quite a hundred percent, right? Like if George Springer was constantly a hundred percent, whenever he was on the field, maybe I would feel better about saying, oh, that's an over he's going to hit. But the reality is that you'll often have a couple of weeks with him where it's, he's just not quite himself, but he's gutting it out. And so that drags down his numbers a little bit. Like his when he was Which on, is crazy because those numbers are so good. But oh, yes, yeah, that's still, absolutely correct. Still yeah. great. But, you know, in 2021, like when he was really, really going, he was, yeah, he was one of the very, very best hitters in baseball. He still ended up with a 140, which is a very good number. Um, last year was at 132. I think there was a little bit in him last year with the, you know, the contact quality wasn't quite as good. He got a little bit lucky at times. I don't know. I yeah. I think he also that, had the elbow spur or the bone spur or whatever was going on there, which affected him more defensively, we think, than offensively. But that also, yeah, you know. for sure. But again, I think that's the sort of thing that can happen again in some form. Yeah. So like, I'll I'm pretty comfortably on the under here, but there's plenty of room for him to be that good, and uh, or to be very good and still come under that number. Uh, sure, absolutely. Next guy up is Bichette, which is one twenty seven. And so to give you a sense, last year he was at 129, and for his career, he's at uh, 127 exactly. Uh, he's been incredibly consistent, kind of on a year-to-year basis. and Definitely on a year-to-year basis as opposed to week-to-week no, last year. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's, a, it's a very fun dynamic with him where you have no idea what you're going to get week-to-week, but, but at the end of the year, you look up and you're like, okay, that's cool. And so last year, the guys at that area were like Will Smith of the Dodgers, who I think is probably a little bit underrated for people who don't watch a lot of West Coast ball. And Francisco Lindor uh, was also at 127. So those, those are the type of guys we're talking about. Yeah, I, I'm taking the over on this one because um, I, I, you know, I don't think he's really had a year yet necessarily where he's put it all together for those 
you know, maybe the boom and bust periods will will tighten will like tighten up uh, uh, here in his younger career. Whereas, you know, as the bat speed maybe slows down later on, that that could become more of a problem. His, uh, you know, the 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 streakiness that sort of happens. And you know, I don't want to just say that like, okay, he's that guy that he was from you know the end of August onward last year, but it really did save his season. I think like if it's like August twenty first or I forget, I looked it up not that long ago, but like he was on like a one hundred six or a one hundred four weighted runs created plus like like late August, uh, and and you know absolutely pulled his season out of the fire that way. Uh, like I don't think he's going to be that guy. Obviously, like extrapolated across the whole season, but it was like he had a one hundred six weighted, weighted runs created plus through August. Like it was. It was a tough year for him, and uh, uh, I just don't think the values will be that low. And even if the peaks aren't quite as high, I, I can see him uh, absolutely being in the 130s or, or even potentially better. I think uh, I'll, I'll go over. I'm going to go I'll go push. It's exactly wow. his career number. It's exactly <laughs> what they're projecting for him. It's exactly basically what he does every single year. I don't have – I mean, it's a silly answer, but I just don't have a reason to say over or under. Like, I – I've always been maybe a little bit more skeptical of him than others because of his approach. And yet like the track record is long enough that it's stupid to doubt that. Anymore. You know what I mean? Like he's done enough where I can't be like, Oh, I don't know about this, you know, this swinging at the first pitch all the time and getting behind in counts. Like that's going to catch up to him. It's like, you know what? He's 25. Uh, he's been in the league for a while now. This is what he is. So I'll, I'll give him the ultimate. This is what he is stamp of approval, <laughs> which is a push. This is what he is. Uh, I just, I mean, man, he can't be as bad for as long as he was last year, and I think that'll nudge it ahead. Um, so the next guy up is Vladdy. By the way, we're using zips here. Just, you know, there are plenty of projection systems out there, even in Fangraphs, but we're going to use, I don't know, the, is that the most famous one from Fangraphs? Perhaps. Uh, you, have, you have to be in a certain world to really contemplate which projection systems are the most famous. Just, I don't know if I'd mentioned that yet. Anyway, we got Vladdy at 148. 148 is a pretty big number. Uh, in his career year in 2021, he was at 166. So he's been significantly higher than this before. Last year, he was at 132. And to give you a sense of what is sort of 148 last year, that's kind of Julio Rodriguez, Juan Soto land. I mean, and he is that kind of guy, and uh, and I do fully believe it. Uh, but what was his? What where did he end up last year? Was it not one thirty two? One thirty two. Like, yeah, I yeah, I know that was a down year for him. I know that he's you know come in you know refocused and everybody's saying all the right things in spring, and he still has all the talent in the world. Uh, I mean, I, like that's just such a high number. I have to go under on that one as well. I'm going to go over. I, nice. Uh, nice. Yeah. Vladdy is my, like, <laughs> he's my throw caution to the wind guy. Like, you can tell me X, Y, and Z, like, he's got to sort out the launch angle, the ground balls. Uh, you know, is he going to have any knee injuries in the early part of the season? Is that going to be a worry? There's a lot of things you could say about Vladdy that are like, here are rational reasons to believe that he's not going to be, like, the absolute top five hitter type of star in the majors. But, I saw it in 2021, and if anything, he sort of faltered down the stretch. Like, I've seen it at the highest, what it can possibly be. Last year was a bit of a wake-up call. I think that the plate discipline is going to be significantly better this year. It's always been so good at the minor league level. He showed that he had it in 2021. Um, yeah, I don't know. Like I said, it's not purely a logic thing, this one, because I think there's probably a 
probabilistic argument that, like you said, that line is just so high. The bar is too high to say he's going to go over. But for me, he's that guy where I just, yeah, I believe in the talent. The talent is so incredible. It's also easy to remember that, you know, he still hasn't, as we record this podcast, turned 24 yet. Like he's at an age where hitters are still potentially getting better. And he was so good in 2021 that we kind of assume that like you can't and, you know, watching what happened last year, it's like it's so hard to get better from that. But it could, in theory, happen. Like it, we may not have seen his career year yet. I mean, it's not wild to say that about a guy who hasn't turned 24 yet. So I'm going to take the over with him. All right. I love it. I, I couldn't do it myself, but uh, yeah, let's see it. And then we've got Alejandro Kirk at a sturdy 125, and he was at 129 last year. So they're kind of predicting that he's essentially going to run back what he did last year. Guys at 125 last year, we're talking about Brian Reynolds, a frequent trade target for the Pittsburgh Pirates, and <laughs> Randy Arozarena. Those are the 125 type of guys. I mean, that's a tough one. Because, I, I, I mean, he, you know, I, I think he exceeded expectations last year. Obviously, he did sort of wear down down the stretch, and I think that there will be more opportunities to rest him this year that should, that should help. So, uh, like, it, I feel it's close, but I'm going to go with the over on this one. Give me a hard over. I think I think wow. Kirk is in for a big year. Uh, I mean, maybe that's not super controversial to say about a guy who was sort of an all star. You know, was an all star last year at a very difficult position, had an incredible season, but his power really fell off last season. Like you were talking about an ISO of one thirty. No one really talked about that because you know there was only positive. Why would you kind of drag a guy down who's having an incredible season? There's no need to kind of dwell on the thing that's hurting him. But the reality is he'd shown a lot more power in the past. Like his, his before that, you know, and not in a ton of a sample, but, you know, his ISO had been hovering around 200 in his previous couple of shows at the major league level. Uh, he'd hit the ball with more authority before, and he'd done that without, uh, you know, sacrificing for a lot of strikeouts. Like in 2021, he had 11.6% strikeout rate. It's not like, oh, he changed from being a guy who was a big swinger and he cut down his swing and sacrificed his power on purpose. I don't really see that being the case. Like last year, he got more BABIP luck and he sprayed more line drives and that's how his average got up. But we didn't see that power very much. And there were some pretty notable outages, actually, like long, weeks-long periods mm -hmm. where yeah. he, he would not have any kind of extra base hits. I think that the power comes through a little bit more this year. That's what we see in these projections, like Zips and some of the other ones I'm looking at on this page. Like you see ISOs in the 160s, even up to 180 on different projections because people think that there might be a power bounce back, and that is what I'm banking on here. I, I think that's totally reasonable. I do feel like there was, you know, there's a lot of weird infield hits, and, uh, you know, he's not, uh, he's not going to hit a lot of triples. No, uh, I think that's <laughs> we fair. Can say, we can say that. Um, yeah, I, hey, I mean, I, I think it's close. I think he's a really good hitter. I just, uh, I have a harder time than you clearly than the, the, to say that it's, it's going to be an over, even though, I said over as well, but I was just a little more tepid with it. Uh, but yeah, the power thing is absolutely true. I mean, this is a guy who does hit the ball tremendously hard, even if it's more of a line drivey thing. Uh, and maybe the maybe the new walls will help him. Who knows? Yeah, Not I think you might see fence. like d more doubles. You know what I mean? Like he only had 19 doubles last year. That feels like a pretty low number for someone with. Yeah, he turned he turned some into singles. Well, I believe. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> there's some of that but like i don't know i remember doing a piece coming into 2022 saying like how i felt he would be their breakout player that year 
Um, and I'm not just bringing that up to try and get credit. There's a there's well a done, po- there's though. a point here. Um, <laughs> the point is that I kind of went through and looked at okay, like is because there was a big discrepancy between his expected numbers and his numbers in 2021. Like, is it a problem that he's just so slow and he's turning all these doubles into singles? Like, is that making a market impact on his production? Is that kind of always going to be baked in? And there was some of that, but like it just not there's there's never as much of that in reality as you kind of can imagine in your mind's eye. You know what sure. I mean? Like it it's probably I don't know how many doubles he lost along the way last season, well, it's but like, it's like it's six, like one a month you know, or something. Maybe. Yeah, it's not yeah. Yeah. some huge thing that's per, the difference between him having forty and nineteen. But it's easy right. because it's easy to envision. It's easy to overestimate. Yeah, uh, I do. Ho- I do hope that the you know getting him more rest, Danny Jansen being healthier. Uh, ideally, uh, keep them keep them uh, from wearing down a bit, and then that should that should go a long way to uh, undoing and overcoming you know the 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 cooling down that he did last uh, the second half last year. At number five, this one is wild to me. I <laughs> like I do not understand this projection. I think Blue Jays fans will be pretty happy with it if it comes to pass. But Zips, and to be fair, Zips is the highest on him of any of the other projection systems at Fangraphs, has Dalton Varsho at 132. So that's just, that's what Vladdy did last year, as we just discussed. <laughs> it's what Springer did last year. It's what, uh, you know, Anthony Rizzo did last year. It's a, it's a half step behind Xander Bogart. It's like, yeah, Zips says that suddenly Dalton Varsho is an offensive star. And if he is, he's a superstar uh, because of what he does on defense. Like he's a, if, if Varsho does this, he's a borderline MVP candidate. I don't, I don't know what's going on here, but I'm <laughs> like, I don't know. I, I ha- here's Varsho's WRC plus in his career so far, and in his first years, it's progressively bigger samples. But seventy six, ninety nine, one oh six. You could sell me on a continued upward tra- trajectory here, but I can't go with you to one thirty two. That's wild to me. That yes, that is. I mean. I, I, 106 was that last year was 106 last year was 106 yeah okay because see i'm look, i'm always thinking about him in terms of the splits which you know obviously i mean he was dreadful uh against left-handed pitching last year um and this is may, my theory about why this maybe uh looks as funky as it does is that he was not bad in 2021 against left-handed pitching i don't know if it was like i don't think no i don't know if it rose to the level of good i can't quite remember off the top of my head but uh, but I definitely remember writing at one point, you know, after the trade, like, okay, if he can, if he can just hit lefties the way that he did in 2021 while keeping everything he's done against righties, then uh, then that I think is completely plausible for him. Uh, whether he can do that, he certainly didn't show it in in, in uh, 2022. Um, I do believe the right side, uh, like the right-handed pitching stuff, is uh, like like that's 132 seems seems fine to me. Uh, against right-handers, but yeah, the lefty thing would would likely drag him down. Um, so I will have to go with the under on that. That is just that is like you say, that's such a that's su- such a progression uh, from where he was last year. But I, I do think he could be better from uh, you know facing those uh, same side of pitchers. So you know there there is there is there is a chance. I don't think it's completely uh, you know completely outlandish. Yeah, I don't know. It feel, that feels like a, a 94th percentile outcome to me. You know what I mean? Like it, it feels yeah. like if everything went perfectly, I, I think with the lefties, it's tough, right? Like in 2021, you know, it's the sample just not there. It's 90 plate appearances. And even last year, it's 129, right? Like 
we just haven't seen him face enough. We've seen him face enough lefties and do poorly enough on balance to be pretty confident in saying that like he's not great at hitting lefties and that is a known weakness of his, but we don't know the magnitude of that just because there's not enough of a sample and we're going to find out. That's going to be a big part of determining how big a success he is in Toronto. But 132 is is outlandish as far as I'm concerned. Fair, fair. The next man up is, we're going sort of in the order projected lineup here, if you guys are wondering, uh, is Matt Chapman. And Matt Chapman, they've got at a crisp 127. Uh, and last year, for reference, he was at 117. And we've talked about the guys in the area of 127 because that's what they had for Bichette. But yeah, it's the Francisco Lindors of the world. Um, it's, I, in my opinion, pretty high. I'm gonna, I would go under here. Uh, personally, not necessarily by a huge margin because I, I do have a lot of belief in Chapman's skill set. And I think that he bounced back in a notable way last year. But I don't know. It, it's, it's a little high. This is one that he's done once in his career in 2018 he was better than this but he's never been better than this other than that one season yeah and that would be probably why i would go under as well i mean i think he kind of started cool and 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 had you know probably would have exceeded that or would have been in that ballpark you know if you looked at uh maybe the last four months of the year i don't know off the top of my head but uh uh but things definitely did get better after a bit of a slow start for him um but yeah, and, and he felt like he was the kind of guy who could do that sort of thing like earlier in his career. Uh, but since uh, since like the hip thing or whatever it was, um, just hasn't quite been the same guy at the plate, which is still, you know, it's still an incredibly valuable player. Like he, you know, if he hits like he did in 2021 and, and plays defense, or, or other way around, if he hits like he did last year and plays defense like 2021, it's like a six-win guy. Um, and that's completely that's completely like within the realm of possibility, like maybe a strong possibility, even depending on how the metrics view. Um, but we're not talking about wins above replacement. We're talking about WRC plus. And yeah, that does feel a touch heavy for me as well. I just, I think there's going to be, you know, it's a lot of boom and busts and some, there's going to be strikeouts. There's, it's just, he's not a super complete hitter uh, in the way, like he's just not putting the ball in play a ton. Uh, I don't know. I, I, yeah, I don't see that. I think it's tough. It'll have to. It'd have to come in the form of a lot of home runs, which maybe the fences help. Well, that'll be. You know, I'll say that about everyone. Maybe the fences help, but yeah, I think you're right. It's so under. Yeah, I mean, and because you mentioned it, I just pulled it up. Him in the last four months of the season was 131. So mm-hmm. yeah, he's capable of doing that over an extended stretch of time. But that's a pretty good version of Matt Chapman, the version we saw over the yeah. last four months of the season. I don't think it's fair to assume he'll be sort of that for all of 2023. Um, so that's an under for me. We've got another one that looks looks pretty high, uh, and that is Brandon Belt at 132. Now, this is an interesting one because, you know, as we mentioned before, when we talked about the Belt signing, he's he was incredible from 2020 to 2021, like well above this level, one of the very best hitters in baseball. I also believe that the Blue Jays will probably shelter him from left-hand pitching a lot, which should help juice a number like this as opposed to kind of an overall number, like a home run number. That being said, man, like I think I can see this scenario happening. I might even, I think, be higher on the chance of this scenario happening than the average person following this team. I think I'm higher on belt than most, but I got to believe that for a 35-year-old dude, uh, well, going to be 35, that more often than not, he comes in below this, but maybe not by a massive margin. 
Yeah, I will take the over on this, and oh, wow. uh, and this is what yeah, and and well, this is why one because I think you're absolutely right. They will shelter him more, and I think that these numbers are getting dragged down, of course, by his last year where he played through that knee injury and uh, ultimately had to shut it down. And uh, I don't think the Blue Jays, you know, the, the Blue Jays are not in a position where they have to force him to do that. And I don't know how much you know the Giants were. I, I don't, I don't, I didn't follow that dynamic super closely last year. Um, but the Jays have plenty of guys who can take DH at bats uh, if if Belt is not 100%. And I think that that might mean he'll play less. Uh, just if it's barking at any point, he's not going to try to play through uh, this. And I don't think they'll let him play through this because they do have those options. They would be, I'm sure, very happy to have George Springer at DH a lot more days than uh, uh, than is currently scheduled. And, they, and, and I think that that will mean that, you know, it's more likely to see him at his best on the field, which I think, even though that is still a pretty high number, uh, Factoring in the sheltering against lefties, uh, I, I think I'll I'll take the over, and that's uh, that's that's a reach, obviously, but um, I'm I'm going with it. I'm sticking with it. I respect it because I yeah I like Belt a lot. I was incredibly impressed by what he did until he kind of ran into that injury roadblock last year. His range of outcomes is massive, and yeah, he's one of the biggest swing guys on the Blue Jays this year. So it'll be interesting to see how that plays out. A less fascinating player, I'm afraid to say, I think, is Whit Merrifield. Uh, and Merrifield is projected for the old 92 on uh, on Zips. I'm not going to go all the way through the through the leaderboards at Fangraphs and pull up a comp for 92. I think you guys get it. It's uh, pretty below average, but not disastrously below average. That's what Fangraphs is saying. Uh, last couple of years, for a little context, last three years, 105, 90, 88. Uh, I'm going to say that the trend basically continues, and I'm going to go under. This is, a, this is really a coin flip for me. This is kind of right around where I see Merrifield, like fairly significantly below average, a guy who's you know aging a little bit, getting a little slower, potentially not getting as many of those infield hits. And, uh, yeah, I don't know. He, there's nothing remarkable about the way he hits the ball. He does, to his credit, he doesn't strike out much. So the ball is in play. I, that gives him a nice little floor. But I'll say under, but not with much conviction. Yeah, that's fair. I mean, I, I've definitely noticed that the trend is several years in the making of his weighted wrestling creative plus going down. Uh, it didn't go down by a ton last year. And I think he was better. You know, well, he had a really good uh, uh, September or late August, early September, whatever it was. Um, like, I don't think he's going to be that guy. And I think like maybe, maybe the Jays themselves and some Jays fans are maybe more excited about, about the potential with him than, uh, than before I will say over here, uh, bucking the trend, even though, uh, you know, the age, uh, is absolutely a concern and I'll, I'll, for two reasons. And the first is that I think that, uh, uh, just the, the, he'll get more favorable matchups. There's ways for them to mix and match guys and that'll produce better outcomes for him. Uh, then you know, in the role, like, who did the Royals have that they were going to take him out of the lineup for? Like, he doesn't. You know, that that's not a thing that that generally happens. Uh, I think you know, doesn't he, didn't he have a ton of consecutive games there at one point? Uh, who is to say? Uh, somebody probably, but not me. Uh, but yeah, so I don't think he's going to necessarily have to be in there every day and in unfavorable matchups, which should help like juice that a little bit. And also, I think maybe uh, it's playing for a team that's playing for something. Uh, it could could help could help you know rejuvenate him uh, a touch a little. Little dead cat bounce there for the 36 year old Whit Merrifield. Um, because that certainly, you know, at the start of the year, uh, they were, these guys are professionals, they're not out there, you know, loafing around, but uh, but 
it's a long season and playing it <laughs> playing it in Kansas City when you're out of it by like June first is uh uh, or May first or April first, uh, can't can't uh, can't be good for your your focus and concentration and and all that stuff. So uh, perhaps I'm, I'll give the benefit of the doubt to that sort of weird old school thing that we you know probably learned long ago is nonsense and and uh, give give him a give him a nice little over there. You know what? I think you've convinced me more on <laughs> more on the matchup thing, to be honest, than the. Yeah, uh, I, but I think maybe <laughs> than the nonsense. Yeah, yeah that's yeah. fair. Uh, <laughs> but, but yeah, being able to wrestle, but he's not quite thirty six. He's just uh, he's th- recently turned thirty four. But yeah, getting a chance to rest huh. a little bit, getting uh, a few more matchups against lefties and righties, not playing every day. You're right. I think that maybe he can bounce up into the maybe the ninety six range, ninety seven. Right. Oh yeah, it's still not going to be good. It's, it's not, not going to be great. Be... Um, yeah. But. That's, you know, that's the way it is. This one uh, is interesting. we got a couple more, and then I want to touch on some of the new Fangraph stats before we get out of here. But uh, Danny Jansen, I think, is the last one we're going to do. Over. Here. Over. I don't care what it is. It's over. It's 116. <laughs> and oh, yeah. I think that that's over. an over. I think that, yeah. you know, it's tough because he's had these injuries. And, you know, if he's not healthy, is, he, is his body going to be able to respond? But because they have the luxury of Kirk, and if they feel bad about him in a particular matchup, they can always shy away from that uh, because he's been so damn good. Uh, last year, a 140 WRC plus for Danny Jansen. Like there, there's no doubt that on a per-game basis, Jansen was the most effective player the Blue Jays had last year, uh, sure. which is kind of a wild statement. And I'm, like, I don't even, it's hard to compare kind of pitchers and hitters for that, but at least on the position player side. Uh, he was their best player when he was out there, and yeah, you know, I think he can get above one one sixteen. Feels criminally low for him. I would go, I'd probably go as high as you know into the one twenty five area before I'd think about an under. Yeah, honestly, I mean, like he really just because of the injuries, he hasn't had uh, you know all, all that long, all the, the like long stretches where he could have gone into troughs and 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 maybe changed some of what we've thought about. Him. He's always, you know, when he can come back fresh from the from the IL and and blast a bunch of home runs, or he'll start the year and be blast a bunch of home runs. Like it's, but he's also he's also done all that. He's also looked like a different guy at the plate, you know. Um, and I, I don't if it, I don't see why that's necessarily going to change. Like I don't think he's going to be on pace to hit you know seventy home runs or whatever you know whatever stupid number it might be uh, based on those all those like small cut up samples. But but yeah, one sixteen seems low. I think. Uh, I, I think that's a pretty uh, easy bar for him to cross if he's, you know, if he's at all the guy that we've seen when he's been healthy. Yeah, I mean, and we're looking at two straight seasons with an ISO above 250, like the power, you know, that's over 450 plate appearances. And again, that's not even a full season, but it's not nothing either, especially all, yeah. over all these different samples, showing the ability to even when he has injuries, come back strong from them and produce kind of right away. Uh, that's been impressive as well. Yeah, you got to go over with him. So just before we recorded, basically, uh, Fangraphs dropped a bunch of new statistics, which are kind of interesting. They're called Stuff Plus, Location Plus, and then the combination of them is Pitching Plus. I don't know if you guys are subscribers of The Athletic. Eno Saris there has been working with these numbers for quite some time. They're kind of interesting shorthand. You know, we just talked about WRC Plus as a little bit of an all-in-one shorthand statistic for how good a hitter is in terms of production. These are sort of shorthand statistics for how good a pitcher's uh, 
repertoire is in terms of stuff, in terms of the, you know, the velocity, the movement, the spin, the extension, things like that, all wrapped up into one little neat package and then location in terms of the best places for those pitches to be located. It's a little bit tricky because you can never 100% prove intent where catcher set up, yada, yada, yada. So I would be more interested in, in probably stuff plus and location plus personally. Uh, that being said, a couple of notes for the Blue Jays. Kevin Gosman, number one on pitching plus among qualified starters last year. That's pretty impressive. And I think it kind of goes to that notion that he was a little bit cursed. Uh, and you had that bad defense happen behind him. The shifts that didn't really work for him uh, and ultimately got cut out. It just seemed like Gosman couldn't catch a break. And this number re- really reinforces that in terms of what he set out to do. And you can see, you know, his FIP number, for instance, is incredibly good. He, it was mission accomplished for him and things didn't always go perfectly behind him. But I think Blue Jays fans should maybe be even more optimistic about Gosman's 2023 than they are. Yeah, I think that lines up with the eye test too. I mean, his, his stuff is, is real, real good. Like, you know, tons of, tons of chase, tons of swing and miss. Uh, wasn't walking guys. Um, you know, it was just, it really was just like a, a historically bad BABIP. Like, I think, you know, since the 60s, a qualified starter hasn't had a, maybe since the 40s, like, hasn't had a BABIP that high. It's, uh, it, it, you know, and some of those balls were hit hard, but, you know, that that happens to all sorts of guys. But just a little bit more batted ball luck, and uh, and it's like a Cy Young season. Yep. And uh, a couple of other ones on the starters. Barrios was, look, qualified pitchers, to be fair, is a very small sample in the way that pitchers are used right now just because starters don't have that workload anymore. We just have 45 qualified starters last season. Barrios 15th, though. Uh, so that was a little bit odd. Maybe a little bit of an indication there's some bad luck there as well. If you know, And we've talked about this before, and we talk about Barrios. Part of what's difficult with him is that you look into the stuff, and you know he didn't really lose anything last year in terms of stuff. Uh, it is interesting to me that his location plus last year was rated as above average. That creates yeah. some skepticism for me. Uh, I, I told you before, like I feel better about stuff plus than location plus. Yeah. Um, I still. I think that speaks to it. Yeah. But I think it's. A, I'm. No, go my on, guess go on, with him is that maybe the overall rating on location plus is quite good, but maybe the fastball was significantly low. And you know these stats came out, you know, literally kind of a minutes before we recorded here. So this is not a deep dive. This is a first impressions. But my guess would be that is his off speed and his breaking balls maybe were located quite well, but the fastballs were not. And then the fastballs were the pitches that got absolutely clobbered. Yeah. That, that's it. Yeah. That, that tracks or even, I mean, I, you know, we'd have to, I'd have to look into the methodology, I guess, but like, yeah, like he was throwing it in the zone, but he wasn't like, you know, particularly precise within the zone. So I, I, you know, I, I don't know how location plus factors for, or like this is a place that where kind of stuff forcing fastball should go but his because it's less effective than others doesn't actually work there uh that 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 type of stuff uh manoa was interesting because he was just kind of not on the radar like he was 33rd out of 45 qualifying starters and he didn't really rate notably above or below average in either stuff or location um which i found interesting i mean there are elements of manoa that we still it's like oh yeah he you know, he really creates soft contact and there's been a, enough of a sample to suggest he'll keep doing it. But there's always been an element of him where it's not 100% clear how he's as effective as he is. And I think that, that <laughs> yes, uh, that's being captured in this, right? Like when you kind of bring all these numbers together, it's like, yeah, this guy should be fine. And instead he's like 
elite all-star level. Um, and we, we've seen some projections thrown out from Manoa last year, and most of them don't see him replicating last year's success. That's a huge bar, to be fair. I don't think he necessarily yeah. has to. But I think, you know, there's still going to be that element with Manoa where it's like, are we sure that he's this good? I mean, I don't know. It, it looks good, and it's happening in front of our eyes, and it continues to be effective. But, you know, we he doesn't have the most velocity, and, you know, his slider is really good. But at the same time, maybe he doesn't create as many whiffs as some of the more elite starters, top secondary pitches. So it, they also really hated his changeup, which is fair because I don't think his changeup is very good. But no, though, though that's an area where he can uh, potentially still improve. Yeah, which, there you go. Still which upside. Is something to think about. The other one that stood out with me was starters. And then I'll give you the Frankenstein just because it's something it feels like every year people write the story of like, what if you put together a Blue Jays pitcher or this is not just particular to the Blue Jays, but like with the best pitch of each type. So I'll, I'll give you that for starters and relievers. But one more thing that stood out was that Kikuchi was 46th on Stuff Plus. And this is not, uh, <laughs> wow. not out of the 45 sample. This is out of 179, all the starters with 50 plus innings between Framber Valdez and Jose Barrios. So that's another number to me kind of reinforces okay. what we know, which is Kikuchi has this really, you know, maybe not ace stuff, but at least, you know, top of the rotation, middle top of the rotation level of stuff if he's able to harness it. And that, um, yeah. and that's, that's, it's good to see that in a quantitative way. It's like, and we know that through the velocity of the fastball and stuff like that too, but this is uh, just kind of reinforces that notion that if we get Kikuchi going here in the right direction, like the, upside with him remains very high and that's what people have seen in the spring so far mm -hmm. so here's our frankenstein for starters kikuchi fastball uh 108 uh barrio sinker 101 not great sinkers uh, in the blue mm -hmm. jays rotation Apparently. manoa slider 117 so it's rated that, as a good yeah. slider Bassett curveball 147, one of the very best curveballs in the majors, which kind of surprised me because I know that that's a big pitch room. But at the same time, when I think of Bassett, I think more of the variety and the, the yeah, element absolutely. of surprise than like, oh, he has this nasty pitch X. But uh, that which I'm sure. Well, I'm sure that that perhaps that elevates it because the, you know, you, you can't you can't sit on seven pitches. Yeah, for sure. So I, I think there's probably an element of that involved, but it, it's still interesting. It made me think, oh, I'm going to pay closer sure. attention to Bassett's curveball for sure. Um, and then the changeup Barrios at 93. So none of the changeups are, are very good. On the that's interesting because uh, like I'm, I don't know. I, I feel after years of of stories about Pete Walker, you know, just uh, the changeup has been has been something that's been a focus. I thought here for maybe not in recent years, obviously. It has obviously, been in the past. You're right, but I think absolutely it has been a focus and a thing that they really think is important. But when I mean, when I think a lot of the changeups on the staff, I think of ones that are a little bit underdeveloped or not like you know Manoa's yeah. is a bit underdeveloped. Kikuchi's, I know he's had some highlights with it, but it's a bit of an underdeveloped offering. Barrios has been. He's had his moments. I've been bamboozled into believing the changeup has been taken off of him <laughs> at times, but it never quite does. Yeah. Um, you know, Gosman's changeup is a complicated thing because it sort of plays off his splitter. Um, it's more sure. of a, yeah. a show-me pitch, in my view, than one that would really exist in a different context. But anyway, not the strength of the Blue Jays. They're more split-finger split, split finger type of pitchers. Right. Um, a quick, quick note on the bullpen. Mermano was 10th on stuff for pitchers with 50-plus innings last year. That kind of checks out. Maybe not at the top, 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 but one of the very best. 
And then when you go with pitching plus, that includes the stuff and the location together. Uh, Romano's 18th, Garcia was 34th, Simber's 35th, and er incoming Eric Swanson was 57. Again, those numbers sort of gel, <laughs> I think, with our understanding of those pitchers. Maybe you'd want to see Swanson a little bit higher. Uh, I'd like to, um, frankly, yes. But yeah, you see like, oh, Romano is a good enough best pitcher to have in your bullpen, but maybe not the best, and maybe ideally the second best. And then the other guys are sort of like decent high leverage guys. That's kind of where the Blue Jays are. Um, your Frankenstein, Tim Meza, fastball, one... 188 uh i i tweeted about this and immediately like josh house was like uh i think that's a classification yeah i would uh, if you if you look at his his savant page uh like the heat maps there is there you know it's mostly yeah i was gonna say he's basically uh, a sinker guy at this point so i think there's there's like one like you can see from the heat map it's literally one well it was nasty it was (laughs) was a pretty good one yeah i guess you should be thinking about throwing a few more of those um (laughs) so i mean that's a bit of a silly one sinker adam simber 123 slider simber 139 so this stuff really likes simber which is interesting because he's the sort of guy i thought maybe was going to be punished by this stuff where his you know his qualities are his deception his arm angle and his general weirdness but uh it's interesting that this metric is picking up what's good about simber change up trevor richards 108 i don't think that's surprising uh curveball garcia yimmy garcia 122 uh, a little bit surprising. Again, I kind of have Garcia in the Chris Bassett uh, bucket in my head where it's kind of like it's the variety as opposed to the individual pitch. Right. But also there isn't really a a big nasty hook in the Blue Jays bullpen when you kind of think about those guys. Uh, I mean, I don't know. Like these, the Manoa thing is weird, but also it fits a little bit with what we know about him. I There was nothing here where I was like, this is terrible, except kind of the overall ranking on Barrios. If you rank a guy for pitching plus in the top third of qualified starters when he was arguably like the worst one, uh, that's a little bit, that's a little bit odd. Um, but my, my, my yeah. first, <laughs> yeah, my first impression is that this stuff is interesting and we're going to learn more about it. I'm sure it's going to end up getting quoted a lot uh, over the season to come. And I'm sure both of us will end up doing that to some degree or another. Um, but it wasn't seeing this stuff generally matched at least close enough to my understanding that I didn't feel like being dismissive of it. You know what I mean? I saw it. I was like, yeah, some of this isn't exactly what I would think. uh, Or some things look a little bit weird to me, but generally speaking, things kind of lined up where I more or less expected. Yeah, that, that seems like a fair assessment for sure. Okay. Before we get out of here, a couple, just a couple minutes on the world baseball classic. Cause that's something that is happening now. It wasn't happening before. Stoughton, what is your level of summoning excitement for this event? And is that related to Canada or is that related to your honk ballers uh, in the Netherlands? <laughs> uh, I mean, the, both, both teams sort of uh, not, uh, not not golden generations i guess at the moment uh, it's such a weird tournament because you know so many it's not best on best because so many guys are not there uh but i i, I so i don't think any excitement that i have the be such that it is uh really has much to do with either of those though i do you know obviously those those are the teams i'd be pulling for uh but also i must say that uh i had about zero enthusiasm for the tournament uh before it started uh, and then you start you start seeing uh, you know you start seeing some of the the games that are in the middle of the night the you know the Koreas and Japan's and and uh, stuff like that and and those you know just the way that the fans are responding there and uh, you know you think about what uh, you know how fun it's going to be watching Puerto Rico and Dominican Republic and 
uh, you know, Cuba's already playing, although they're also not in the middle of a golden generation. Um, you know, and, and, and it is uh, it is uh, it is ticked up for sure. Uh, my excitement and enthusiasm about it because it is just fun to watch. Fun baseball and people having fun watching it. Like uh, it, it, it is a certain contrast between that and like watching the Rays play at the stupid trop with somehow even fewer people for spring training games than than regular season ones. Like it, the the you know spring's fun and it's it's what it is. But uh, but no, something with meaning is actually uh, pretty compelling at this point. Yeah, I mean, I'd much rather watch these games than watch a spring training game. That's that's <laughs> uh, fair to say. Uh, like you said, uh, I mean, I'm not, not hanging on for every pitch like I am every Kikuchi start, but you know, the uh, you know, as, as you said with Canada, there's just you know, there's not a lot there. There's not a lot of even reason for hope. Ooh, you don't even want to look at the uniform. Oh yeah, ugly. And then, <laughs> I mean, you have your Netherlands. I have my Great Britain, which uh, I was looking at go. the roster. They've got Trace Thompson on this team. They've got Vance Worley. There's some there's some players. Uh, Vance Worley. Yeah. They've got uh, Chavez Young on the team as Darnell right. Sweeney uh, is on the team. So, you know, so there's some big names. I expect them to make some noise uh, in this tournament. And from a Blue Jay standpoint, you know, I think just Barrios is the one that's interesting because Puerto Rico will be leaning on him. Uh, just watching him yeah. against high level competition that cares uh, is going to be more interesting to me than watching him, you know, facing minor leaguers in spring training. So he'll probably be the, that's the Blue Jays angle that I'm keeping an eye on. Like I don't, if Vladdy goes, I don't care if he goes 0 for 10 with nine strikeouts. You know what I mean? Like, or if he hits <laughs> yeah. five bombs. Like, it doesn't, yeah. that doesn't really do anything for him. Otto Lopez to, to a lesser extent, obviously. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, as Otto Lopez is a candidate to be sort of an extra guy on this team. And if he were to come out for Canada and, and really impress, I guess that would be noteworthy. But yeah, Barrios is the one to watch, in my view. And uh, no, I mean, it'll be fun to watch, especially Korea and Japan, as you mentioned. There's a lot of, high high level uh japanese stars who are here and a couple of yeah. korean stars guys who have mlb futures if they want them and you know they may not necessarily want that but there are some very high level players that i kind of look forward to being introduced to at least in person sort of beyond the twitter clips and the press clippings but uh yeah i so i i'm i'm excited about it in um in a kind of moderate way but it it, it beats spring training which is kind of is the ghost of baseball it's the worst uh it's just if spring tra- <laughs> i'll put it this way if spring training baseball happened after the season you wouldn't watch it but uh because it mm-hmm. happens before it's uh yeah it's tempting to get a little bit of baseball in so the world baseball classic is nice to have in the sense of baseball it matters baseball that people care about uh with some pretty high level star power but beyond that i don't think we're going to be changing this into a team canada podcast over the next couple of weeks i suspect not yeah Okay, we will wrap episode 89 there. We're looking forward to getting back with you guys episode 90 next week. Anything you guys do in terms of giving ratings. I don't know if we have any ratings since we've come back on this little feed. Ratings, reviews, that kind of stuff uh, is good for algorithms that we don't understand. But we appreciate you staying with us, whether you do that or not. And we will let you know when you can hear us again. Hey, my name is Hard